This is Wildfire, the B2B Under 30 podcast on MarketScale. Here, B2B's youngest stars share the ideas, concepts, and innovations that are catching fire in the fastest growing markets. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Vinyl records are back in style. In 2017, vinyl sales reached the highest they've been since 1991. It's been an interesting trend in the age of streaming. As accessing music reaches its most convenient, people revert back to the most inconvenient way to listen to music. Why? Because the appeal lies in something else. On today's sports and entertainment episode of Wildfire, we are joined by Kyle Mathieson, founder of Black Box Record Club, who shares how a passion for good tunes led him to the perfect niche market for starting a small business. We gain some insight on how data is helping Matheson stand apart from his record club peers, what makes vinyl persist, and the two big factors to keep in mind when choosing an industry to enter as a side hustle. Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good, man. I'm excited to, uh, to be here and chat a little bit. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I was really excited to be suggested your company and you as a guest for this podcast because... I am a big fan of vinyls. I mean, I know I know that's not particularly interesting, like as an interest, everyone loves vinyls, but it's cool that they came back around, you know, and, and they're um, they're back in style and it's great it really to is, just start yeah. collecting them. And yeah, man, it's, it's a really interesting platform you've got there. So before we dive in, I want to know just what are some of your favorite vinyls you own right now? Have you been uh, collecting any that are really piquing your interest? Yeah, so I guess I'm a huge Dave Matthews Band fan, and I nice. you know, I love DMB. I go to all the shows when they come around. Love, have always loved that music. Uh, so those are pretty much my favorite. I got um, the the brand new record they just put out, Come Tomorrow, which just released about a month ago, and I got one of the you know pre-order exclusives that has this really cool like marble colored finish on the wax on the mm. vinyl. Um, love so it. that's that's definitely my favorite uh, favorite one right now. Yeah, love it. Yeah, I haven't bought any new ones as of late. I usually get some for Christmas. I think the last few I got were let's see, I got Alive 2007 by Daft Punk, like their live album. Okay, great cool. one. Yeah, and then Occurrence by Tame Impala, another classic. Some some good stuff. Yeah, I'm. I've uh, I've definitely considered working uh, black box records into my budget every month. So all right, we'll see. If, we'll see if we can convince you here. Yes. We got about forty minutes. I know. To get the job done. <laughs> Let's dive in. So yeah. I think you're in a really interesting side of the music industry, which is not only providing music but playing to people's love for memorabilia. Uh, you know, I, I think that is something that everyone loves. Everyone loves to have tokens, trinkets, things that just have um, have value without necessarily having value, you know, but with these, with vinyls, they are both utilitarian, right? You listen to your music and you collect them, that you feel like you're building, um, you're building a brand, you're building your repertoire of vinyls, which is really cool. So what drew you into wanting to be that point of contact for that intersection of quality music in a traditional form? Well, it's really cool that you bring up um, that point where, you know, maybe common sense when you think about vinyl records and, you know, the resurgence of that industry, you'd think it doesn't really make sense because people have all this, you know, opportunity and chances to listen to music very easily through streaming. 
But in reality, the, right. way that, the way that I view vinyl, it's really more of a merchandise item, just like you would stock up on posters or t-shirts of your favorite bands. Uh, you also want to, you know, nowadays people want to stock up vinyl records for their favorite bands. And the reason is because it's a way to show off the music that you're into that really doesn't exist anymore. People don't have CD collections anymore when they, you know, when they're playing music at parties, it's all on their phone, on their Spotify playlist. You can't physically show that to anybody. And a lot of people define, define a ton of their personality based on the music they listen to. So stocking up on vinyl records is a really fun way that people are discovering to show off their personality and their music interests that, you know, streaming has really made impossible to do. So it's really cool to see the resurgence um, of the vinyl record industry when common sense would say that vinyl records should die because so many people are streaming their music. But in reality, that's not the case. It's really the rise of streaming has driven a backlash to towards driving people towards, uh, you know, this vinyl record market. And that's why it's boomed in the last decade. Um, just, you know, a little to throw a little numbers out there in the last like 10 years. So every year there's a big vinyl industry uh, report that comes out. So in 2007, there was 1 million units of vinyl records sold in the U.S. And that's, you know, it's that's really a low number, um, you know, for the whole for the whole actual globe. Sorry, it wasn't just U.S. Um, in 2017, that number rose from 1 million in 2007 to 14 million in 2017. So that's a 1400% growth in the last decade and simultaneously streaming has become so popular so it's really not an either or thing with the rise of streaming it's actually also driven the rise and the importance and the fun around collecting vinyl records because it's a physical way for people to show off their personality and that's really the you know the space that black box we're trying to be in we want to help people build up their physical record collections with music they love so they can use it, you know, stock up their bedrooms with it, stock up their living rooms with it so they can show it off to their friends, so they can just be around it. It really gives people an opportunity just to communicate, um, you know, what they're into, their personality. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to be able to help people do that kind of thing. Yeah, and I feel like it's really interesting seeing the way that vinyls have changed as a market going from when vinyls were actually the way people consumed music, that's what they were. They were really that tool. If people wanted to hear a new album, they had to go buy the vinyl, listen to it. You know, that was how they were exposed to the music. Nowadays, now that streaming is the norm, people can just, you know, if they pay for the service, they can just access the song immediately. And as soon as it comes out, they get a notification and boom, they're listening to the new album like seconds after it drops at 11 p.m. Central Time, right? But now vinyls have transitioned from that utilitarian, uh, this is how I find my music that I like into this is how I show off like my favorites. This is how mm -hmm. I... I build up a collection of, after I listen through albums on streaming, these were the ones that spoke to me the most, and I want people to see that I invest enough money or I, I, I care enough about um, this one album to want to own it physically. And it really is amazing how often and how it's every single time that people see my vinyl collection or other people that I know's vinyl collection, they're immediately drawn to it. They want to finger through it. They want to pick out ones that they're interested in. Really nothing that I know of elicits that type of response 
you know, like so consistently where if I'm just walking down the street and I'm carrying a couple records and I stop, somebody will just automatically look at it and ask me about it. It's, it's very unique in that sense that it always elicits a response from people that they see. And I think that speaks to how, you know, it just become a cool way for people to show off their music interests and personality. And, you know, I think that's definitely a, an, another big reason why people enjoy collecting them. So walk me through what even brought you into this space from a business side. Uh, what kind of opportunity did you see in starting your own record club? Because um, I know those services are pretty huge. I think people love that surprise box feel um, when you know they, they get something in the mail. And it's like, oh, wow, this is my collection of vinyls for the month. But I think you kind of saw... You saw a gap and you tried to fill it. You tried to take your own spin on it. So, yeah, what even drew you to want to start a business in this sector in the first place? Yeah, so the um, the sector overall, so being like record of the month clubs, vinyl record clubs, that's about a $25, $30 million annual market. So pretty, you know, it's, it's pretty small compared to other, you know, industries out there. But um, what specifically drew me to it, uh, you know, it's definitely by accident in a way. Um, you know, I've always loved music. I, I love listening to music. I play music. I love going to concerts. It's always been a huge part of my personality. You know, it's a huge interest of mine. And basically, it really was just a series of me asking questions of myself, of the world, of the industry until I arose or until I found an idea, a concept, an industry that actually was feasible and made sense, you know, because ideally, if I people are like, you know, follow your passions and all that stuff, people say that. And I think that people take that a little bit too literally, because if I just followed my passion, I love music. So my passion would be I want to be a rock star. And, you know, obviously, that would be my ideal scenario if I could, you know, wish upon a star and get my dreams to made come true. But it's not feasible. So what I did is start asking questions. Okay, I love music where can I make my mark? Where's feasible? Where's there, where's there gaps? I asked, you know, a lot of questions of that world. Eventually it led me down this path towards vinyl records. I had, have been collecting vinyl records for years now. I've obviously have been aware of, you know, it's, it's resurgence of why it's popular. Um, but I wanted, you know, I wanted to get involved with it. So, um, you know, a little bit over a year ago, I started circling around this concept, I originally began just um, buying used records in kind of large quantities and selling used records online just to kind of get into the space. I learned how to, how to package records, how to ship records, uh, what makes records valuable, what type of things people are into. Learned a lot about that. Um, and, you know, it wasn't really a profitable venture at all, but it got me interested into the space. Um, at that point, I started looking at these record of the month clubs. Um, and there are several ones out there. The, the most popular one being um, Vinyl Me Please. Vinyl Me Please, what they do is um, they send out exclusive pressings to their members. And, you know, they're very well put together. But that's a little bit more expensive. And it's for the more refined collector. Their titles are not obscure, but they really just send one, you know, repressed issue of a record out to all their members. And that had been a really popular uh, venture for them. But what it failed in was hitting on people's specific music tastes. So I started getting the idea of a concept that sends people records every month, helps them build up their record collections, except we don't send out the same record to everybody. What we do is we send out records based on people's music interests. 
based on what they're listening to on Spotify directly to their doors and really help people build up their collections, not with, you know, a generic album that a group had picked to send out to everybody, but with music that's been specifically picked out for the member individually. So that concept kind of, once I got, you know, the lay of the land a little bit, did my research, I figured out that there was a space for that. There really wasn't any company doing pure curation. Now there's one other um, company in the space. Uh, they're called vnyl.org. You, you pronounce it vinyl.org. Um, and they have a similar approach where they, you know, at least they say that what they're doing is curating music for their members and sending vinyl based on their members' tastes. But in, in reality, you know, I've seen a lot of people's shipments and what they're doing is sending out, they're buying records in bulk that don't sell that well and sending them out to their members. They have a very, you know, kind of bad reputation for doing that sort of thing. So I looked around and noticed, okay, over in this record club space, there's really not any companies that are successfully curating records for their members down to the individual level. There's one company that's trying to do it, but they have a very bad reputation. So realizing that after I did my research in that respect, I realized that that's the gap that I wanted to hit. I wanted to make sure that I built a business that can serve, you know, the utility function of helping people stock up their record collections, but adding a much more, much more personal touch. Um, and that's where the curation aspect comes involved, picking out records specifically for the individual member based on their Spotify music listening habits and based on their, you know, their overall interests, their overall genres that they like. Um, and so the business has been in, uh, business has been functioning for about six months now. And yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's growing. It's definitely, uh, definitely been a good past few months. We're steadily growing, steadily building up subscribers and yeah, it's, it's on its way. Definitely. It sounds like what you really did was build a company that is reflective of trends within just commerce in general, because I think what we're seeing everywhere is people want that personalized experience and they want convenience no matter what it is. Whether they're waiting in line at Chick-fil-A and they want to just order on the app before they even get up to the line because it's quicker, they can customize it, personalize every aspect of it, or whether it's in e-commerce, like in a retail position or anything. I mean, just really anything. And what's cool is that you combined both the convenience of where music is now, which is people can hop on streaming, find a curated playlist that matches their needs. They can just search for whatever artist or album they want to listen to because it's almost 100% going to be there. You combined that with the need for people to have memorabilia or to collect or that that want to have something physical to represent their love for something. And it's, it's the best of both worlds. Yeah, and... Really, unlike any other time, you know, in in history, information to be able to curate products for people on an individual level is so readily available. It's so easy to get if you just, you know, try to try to look for it and actually put the diligent effort it takes towards analyzing that information and specifically curating products for individual people. And that's, you know, that, that's what I try to do just to kind of explain um, the, the service in general, I'll go over it for a second. So basically black box, what we do is we're a monthly subscription service and we send our members two brand new records every month to their door 
and we base the records that we send them off of their one, their Spotify streaming habits, and two, uh, a music taste questionnaire that we send out. But the true, the true difference between you know my company and others, and the true difference between just the fact that this data is available compared to times in the past is how easy it is to get. So we connect to our members' um, Spotify accounts. And really what that gives us access to is just to see all the music they're listening to. And Spotify offers this service up for free. You connect to their API. It's a little tiny bit of development required. But overall, it's so easy. And it allows me immediately to get all that information and compete with these you know, much larger companies that are trying to operate at a much more macro level. But you know, Spotify makes this available to me for free. So just this, you know, one person sitting at my desk, I can get that same quality, that same abundance of information that you know a billion dollar company company is putting out. So it's very, very accessible and allows you know a small operation like mine to to compete with larger companies for sure. Yeah, that's it's it's incredible how how easy to access that data is, and it's great that Spotify has made it convenient because I think in a lot of other industries data or at least the influx of it has both been a curse and a blessing because yeah we have all this access to data but it's so tough to sift through it all or to make sense of it it's like how am i supposed to use this information how am i supposed to actually create tangible growth from this but it sounds like it's all integrated really easily and you can look at those consumer trends consumer habits and you know create a personalized experience for their music taste yeah, and it's it's an interesting decision just to think about the Spotify's decision in that regard. So they've made the conscious decision to make all their information extremely available. You know, it could they'll make it available to another billion dollar company that wants to build al- algorithms based off it, and they'll also make it available, you know, just to me, an individual guy at my desk. So it's it's a very cool decision that they've made that a lot of other companies have made where they're going down the path of let's make this available so people start using our product for a ton of different reasons. Um, so I think that's something that I definitely you know appreciate. And other companies, you know, like Facebook's the biggest, biggest example. They make a ton of their data available, and now every app on the App Store, basically the way you log in is through that Facebook login, and that's so popular and it's mutually beneficial to both parties. It's beneficial to Facebook because they'll gather more information. And they'll increase the dependence of people on Facebook. And it's helpful to the developers that are creating apps like that because they just have an easy way to verify people's information and set up login portals. So likewise, with Spotify, it's beneficial to Spotify because they just want to increase the use of the product overall. They're trying to compete with Apple Music and Pandora and all that stuff. And it's beneficial to somebody like me because it gives me instant access to all this information that allows me to you know, really provide a curated experience for my customers. So it's, it's just that's a very interesting market trend that has enabled a lot of small companies to compete with much, much larger ones. So that's you know definitely an advantage um, in the market right now. Yeah. And I want to dive into that in a little bit, actually. You know, I want to learn a little bit more about uh, what you learned for trying to create a friendly UI and creating solid branding um, for your small business and also combining um, combining that intricate data into a business like this and how you made it all work. Um, but before we dive into that, the last question I want to hit on for this first segment of the podcast is actually just more on the consumer trend side of things, because I think it's interesting that 
vinyls were the physical format that was um, kind of the resurgence. And I wanted to know why don't you think that when streaming took off, people didn't turn back to CDs or didn't turn back to cassettes or some other physical form of music listening that was still, you know, either becoming antique or was a little antique as that piece of memorabilia. Why do you think vinyls were the ones that had that resurgence and the ones that stuck around? Yeah, I really just think it's the size of it. It's it's the largest physical object, you know, that's really been mass produced for for listening to music. And really what that gives is an opportunity for a lot of cool artwork, a lot of cool different colored pressings of the wax. And it really just gives more opportunity to the people producing vinyl that like to make it a cool piece to show off. So leading up until music streaming, everybody wanted to make music smaller because that was more convenient. Nobody's competing on the convenience factor anymore because streaming is way more convenient than anybody ever imagined. So really what where the competition is at now, it's competing on the merchandise item level. Like I said, I, I drew the comparison to how vinyl records are very, very similar to t-shirts or posters of your favorite band. So I think it the vinyl record, just the size in general, makes it the coolest piece to display. It's a piece of art in that manner. And I think that's why it has it had the resurgence and CDs and cassettes didn't. It really is just comes down to making it a you know an art piece, a merchandise piece. I, I love that. I mean, right. In essence, people are getting the vinyls not for the convenience. They want it for the art, the memorabilia. And uh, a CD and a cassette are not as pretty to display on your wall if you just want to use the art, you know, if you want to build your collection. So definitely, that's that's a fair assessment. Yeah. And the reason that CDs and cassettes were developed in the first place was to make it smaller, to make it more convenient to listen to. And kind of like I said, nobody's com- competing on that metric anymore. Right. Nobody's competing on convenience because it's, it's the answer streaming in that regard. Right. Streaming has already won. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's too late. (laughs) I love it. Okay, so we're going to take just a short break. When we come back, we are going to dive into more of that small business angle of what you do. I want to know more about your process, um, about your background in the tech field and how that helped you start this business. And then just some advice for uh, creating a side hustle and uh, some of the learning lessons you've gotten from that. So we'll be right back. So Black Box Record Club isn't your main source of income. It is a side hustle right now, which means that you have uh, a degree in something else. You are uh, working at a large financial institution in Chicago, which is really cool. And it's, it's kind of a cool combo of worlds that you have a side hustle in such a creative field. And then, you know, you are diving in, working full time in more of the software and technology industry. 
Um, so tell me a little bit about that journey into your you know full-time world and how did you find that that tech background made it useful for you when you decided hey I want to create a company that utilizes data as the backbone of its structure you know of its business plan yeah so um, just I guess a little background on me I, I just finished up, you know, I've graduated in May from graduate school at Indiana University, got a master's degree in information systems. And heading into that program, um, you know, from the moment I kind of agreed to do it, my my goal was what I wanted to do was just start an internet business. That was, you know, something going into, it was a one-year program going into that year. I was like, okay, I'm going to spend time going to school, learning, getting this degree and I'm going to use that same time, use the resources that I have there, use, you know, the, the people that can mentor me and use that opportunity to start an online business. Now, at that time, I had no idea what the business was going to be. It's just something that, you know, I've always wanted to do. I've always been involved with kind of the st student startup scene at the school. Um, you know, things went well, things went poorly. I wanted to kind of start something on my own. Um, and I, at the same time, I wanted to blend my passion and interests for music with the more technical hard skills that I was learning um, while I was at school, while I was at IU. Um, so that kind of started. I, at the same time, I was looking at different sectors that I wanted to get involved with. At the same time, I was also learning about development, learning about handling data, learning about different market trends, and you know, really using, using what I was learning at school, asking questions of myself, asking questions of, you know, the emerging industries that were available, I eventually arrived at starting this, um, you know, record club business. And, you know, we're heading into our sixth month now and it's, you know, it's been successful so far. It's definitely been a good, uh, been a good start. No, yeah, I love that you were able to combine your two loves and, uh, you know, put, put them to good use. Um, I guess, you know, when you decided that you were going to introduce music streaming data into your service and you were going to make that sort of the the tapestry the extra thing that was going to push your business along um how did you find that tech background useful uh you know what what specific things did you end up finding that you had to do with that data where you realize wow i'm so glad that um you know being in the software and technology industry uh, is a thing for me because it's really pushing me to the next level. Yeah, it really just opened up doors that I never would have thought of without working in technology, without getting you know technology degrees. I personally never would have thought about these huge companies' data and how they open it up to the population for use through their APIs. I've, I learned about that in school, and I never would have even thought about that as uh, as a tool to use without you know learning more about what was possible and I think that's a ton about learning about technology it's not about learning specific skills as much it is as much as it is about learning what's possible because once I know that this thing is possible I can spend all the time learning about the specifics that I need but you really need to open up your your mind to what is available and pursue what stuff um, can be used. So I, you know, I remember as soon as I learned that Spotify had, you know, this big open source API where they shared all their information, I couldn't get it off my head. I've, I've always loved Spotify. I've always loved music and I couldn't get it out of my brain that 
they just offer this information out to you know to the population as a whole now my my members have to like authorize me to view it but that's it other than that i don't have to pay anything i don't have to you know do anything super complicated it's extremely available once i figured that out that was really the the lightning bulb that went off in my head i kind of thought okay if this is super just available and out there what how can i monetize it how can i you know offer a service that isn't being offered right now based on that information and then eventually you know i arrived at uh this business okay so this is another thing that just sort of popped into my head but kind of makes me wonder what has been a big music data trend that you've seen since you've been um, doing Black Box Record Club. What sort of styles of music, genres, uh, maybe particular artists have you seen really pop off in the last six months since you've been doing uh, this company? Well, the interesting thing is that people that are collecting vinyls, it really, that are collecting vinyl, it really spans every genre out there, old stuff, new stuff, rap, hip hop, folk, you know, punk, all that stuff has a segment of their fan bases that love collecting vinyl. So overall, there's been a huge resurgence in every genre. But one thing that I've noticed, so I got a few customers that are really into um, pop punk. And that genre in particular, I've noticed is putting out some, some great vinyl, really high quality pressings, really interesting artwork, colored wax, all that stuff. So a lot of uh, pop punk bands now, which I'm surprised, I'm not particularly into pop punk, but I've quickly realized that the pop punk genre itself, um, for whatever reason, I think just the the demographic of people that listen to pop punk, the age, younger audience, and they're kind of more on the hipster end of the scheme, for whatever reason, they're more they're more interested than other genres in collecting new music on vinyl. And then in response, a lot of these bands have, you know, responded to that by putting out some really, really great, great pressings, great stuff, great artwork. So that's that's something I've noticed. That's that's really cool. And it's actually made me a little bit more of a pop pop punk fan. Yeah. I mean, my favorite venture into pop punk probably is just American Idiot by Green Day. Yeah, um, that's, that's one of my that's one of my like classic album humanizing definers like it it really helped influence my taste in music so american idiot that album has recently had a huge resurgence on all the all the pop charts because i know that that uh what's the front man's name billy joel billy joe sorry what's his name yeah, yeah not billy joel yeah. another guy <laughs> yeah billy, billy joel <laughs> billy joel is the front man of green day yeah no B- billy joe <laughs> i remember he th- he said something about trump or something like that and then he kind of nicknamed him american idiot and that was a big interview and then that album you know that had been released 15 20 years ago or whatever immediately shot back up in the in the popularity chart so it, it is cool and that's another testament to how powerful streaming is too because it can make just based on one trend, one hashtag, it can really relaunch these these songs, these albums, because they're available literally to everybody. So if they get brought up again in pop culture, it can immediately become popular again. And so I think that's just another cool, cool part about the music environment that we're in right now. Definitely. So now I want to just learn a little bit more about you as an entrepreneur, um, like balancing your side hustle with your full-time job Uh, when you had the inspiration to pursue black box record club and you said you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna buckle down i'm gonna do this how did you go about making that a healthy priority in your life without killing yourself you know like not literally but i mean like working yourself to death because you just 
are working two very uh, strenuous jobs. You know, how did you find a way to balance that in a healthy way? And then what advice would you give to another entrepreneur who who finds that passion for something but is also working full time and has to pay the bills? This is a very important point. How do you know, because a lot of people think about this and I've thought about it for years and, you know, didn't really act on it until kind of all the all the pieces fell in place. So I've thought a lot about this particular question, actually, and I've talked to a lot of people about it. Um, and there are really two different things that I think that are absolutely must haves if you want to, you know, have a setup kind of like I do where I have my full time job that I dedicate, you know, full time resources to and then I'm passionate about and want to advance my career in that regard. But I also want to build up this, you know, this side hustle, this passion project of mine and, and see where it goes. So the two kind of must haves if you want to go down that path, Firstly, it just has to be something that you, you love, like because you're going to get home after a commute, after a long day of work, and you're going to need to put work towards it. And if you don't actually love it, it's it's not you're not going to have really an opportunity to make it successful ever because it just involves too much effort. And if you don't love it, you're not going to put forth that effort. Um, secondly, I, a really important point that people just overlook is that it you know it has to be feasible and the what I kind of say is that if you want to start a, a side hustle like me, if you want to be just one guy at a desk competing with larger companies, you have to look at what I call boutique industries. So industries that the primary way of selling a product is through just smaller mom and pop or single location stores, because you're not going to compete with, you know, a large institution that has just too many advantages. Um, and the reason why I think my venture has been successful is because I've gotten access to um, to to buy vinyl records wholesale, and a lot of other industries I would not have the opportunity to buy wholesale because my volume would just be too small. The reason I'm able to buy at wholesale rates vinyl records is because who are the primary people that are selling vinyl records? It's small record stores, so their purchasing volumes are very very small to begin with. So me doing my record club thing. And approaching a wholesaler to try and get a relationship and get discounted records, I actually have you know pretty significant bargaining power because I have a pretty significant you know it's small but it's cons consistent subscription base that you know immediately puts me on the same purchasing level as a lot of other um, small record stores. Larger industries, I would not even be able to approach a wholesaler because my purchasing volume would just be too small. So kind of as a recap, I think the two main pillars of having a successful side hustle is one, you got to you gotta love what you're doing. I've always loved music and I've always loved collecting vinyl records. I'm passionate about that from the get-go. Get I truly do love just working on this business. It, it's, I'm very, very passionate about it. And two, you got to try to compete in a small industry segment, a, a boutique industry is kind of what I say. Because what that will do is give you kind of equal purchasing power towards your competitors that a lot of other industries, you just wouldn't have that opportunity. Um, so those are kind of the two main, you know, must haves, I'd say, for how to start a little little side business after your full-time job. That second one seems a little harder to find the perfect niche for than the first one. Yeah, it, it is. And that's one of the reasons that I pursued this business after I thought about it for a while is because I knew it was very, very unique. And I knew that it felt like all the pieces were kind of falling into place for me. It felt like it, this was weirdly doable. 
that it was, I actually had a legitimate chance at doing this. A lot of people put together business plans, put together pitches, go to startup competitions and stuff. And they'll make these, you know, grandiose plans and they need $3 million of funding before they can reach the appropriate scale to make this work or whatever like that. For me, I didn't need to do that. I could just have, you know, very small amounts of money, just whatever spare cash I had. And I could start this, this business. Um, so it definitely is harder to see that boutique industry point. Um, but for me, when I realized how, how feasible it was, how easily I could access these wholesalers that could give me great rates that could allow me to actually be immediately profitable. It really motivated me more. Like I knew that it was a very unique opportunity. I knew that it was feasible. And, you know, once I kind of made that realization in my head, I fully committed to starting this. Well, I think what also helps propel your side hustle is that you chose an industry that has a lot of community around it. And mm -hmm. I think intrinsically industries or sub industries, right? Whether it's like some boutique sect of music or retail or uh, sports and entertainment. I mean, just anything. If there is a dedicated community around it, you're going to have more dedicated customers. And I think the people supplying the products for you, like you said, in wholesale are going to share that same passion and that same want to build the community. So it's I, I think that's something that all industries should strive for or anyone who is looking to build a business is try to find a product or at least try to shape your product to create a community around it because then I think more people are going to want to be involved. They're going to feel that FOMO, that fear of missing out. They're going to want to be part of the community. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. It makes me think of something i heard so my favorite podcast besides besides wildfire of course right my, my, my favorite podcast i don't know if you're familiar with it it's it's dan carlin's hardcore history it's a history podcast. okay and he's he's given interviews like he went on joe rogan joe rogan's podcast one time and was talking about how his podcast became successful and it was one of the first you know he's a very early trendsetter in, in this regard and he's had a very you know popular podcast a very dedicated following and his whole message is don't try and get mass market appeal in anything don't sh don't shoot for the middle shoot for a smaller sect of the population that is obsessed with a very niche topic and so that's what i've tried to do and i think the vinyl record industry is absolutely perfect for that a small segment of the population but that segment is obsessed with you know their passion being vinyl records i everybody that i know that has you know a significant vinyl collection it's one of their favorite things in the world to talk about to do so targeting that smaller but obsessed portion of any type of industry of any type of consumer base is you know another i think important reason why i've achieved some you know small level of success here and why other maybe smaller operations are you know are able to survive um, because they didn't try and shoot for mass market, you know, middle ground appeal. They tried to have a small, segmented, narrow focus and have been rewarded by consumers or fans that ha are very, very passionate about that one specific. Right, exactly. Well, Kyle, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and giving us this insight into this different sect of the music industry. You know, we had another guest come on. She was our first guest, actually, and we dived into the nature of music publications and being a PR agent in that whole space and that was really interesting but this is a whole nother take it's it's looking at small businesses in the music industry it's looking at consumer trends looking at at the way that 
people bring things back from the dead when when utility wins and then it's like well now i just want to collect my favorite vinyls it's it's a cool trend to see and i'm glad you were here to give us this insight so thanks again for coming on the podcast i really appreciate it it was it was a great time let's uh let's do it again sometime yes please and thank you everyone for listening to today's podcast and if you'd like to listen to previous wildfire episodes or some of our other podcasts, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. Today's featured songs were Circles by Blue Apollo and She Was Good Like the Sun by J.P. Labastida. If you like what you heard and want to listen to more, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries to find all the music from the show. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time. She was good like the sun, pure like the rain, good like the sun, pure like the rain, good like the sun, good like the sun. She was good like the sun She was good like the sun